So Luke 24, 36 to 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Claire. That's great. Um, As we explore that passage in a bit more detail, I'd like to ask Gaius to come up. And uh, just before um, you preach for us, Gaius, uh, for those who might not know you so well, uh, just a couple of sentences. I feel like you've got a lot of good stuff going on at the moment and you could tell us far more, but just what has the Lord had in store for you uh, recently? Um, yeah, thank you. That's a bright light up there, isn't it? Um, yeah, what's the Lord had in store for us? Well, he's, he's given us a new home uh, here with you, which is fantastic because we really lost our previous spiritual home. Uh, last year and that's been a hard time Um, and we've walked uh, a dark road for a few months but um, by God's grace on Easter day I began a new job with Daylight Christian Prison Trust. Um, Half past seven that morning I wasn't with you I was driving down to Chelmsford to be admitted to prison Um, and as a friend of mine said the justice system's gone pot because they only kept in for two hours but um, I was I was there to uh, take part with the team leading the Easter day worship with the guys who were there. And um, I'm going to challenge you because I had a better day there than I did in any church for a long time because 100% of the conversations I had with people after church went deep. They went spiritual. They went meaningful. There was no, I'm fine, thank you, and just move on. And you get too much of that, in my opinion, in the life of a church. We don't sit down and do God's business with one another. We don't hear the word and and it sinks deep. We don't bow our knee in repentance. We don't pray for one another for healing and encouragement as much as we should. I met with, I spoke with five people. I had five conversations. I met with one guy who'd never been in church before. uh, And I was able to say to him, there is a spiritual side to life, keep looking. And I was able to pray with another guy who was missing his family because he's inside and wanted me to pray for his son. 
and, and so on and so forth. It was a, it was a real joy. Um, I don't know what the, the job entails because the whole point of my role with Daylight is to find out what is still going on after COVID. The prison service was badly affected by COVID. Many prisons are still not doing Sunday worship. So my first role is to find out. And in three months' time, I go to the board and I'm supposed to tell them what's going on. And three months after that, I've got to tell them what we're going to do for the next five years. Um, so what can you pray for me? You can pray for me what you can pray for every Christian, and that's Ephesians 3 and verse 16 and following, because I can't tell you what specifically to pray for me, because all I do is sit and read and think. <laughs> but each of us needs uh, to have those prayers that Paul says in Ephesians 3 and 16. Um, you know, pray for me that I will have uh, power, and that I'll know the riches of his glory, be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That's the prayer that, that I need. I guess that everyone who goes to the conference this, wo- this week needs as well. So make that your prayer, if you would, for me and, and for all those in ministry. But enough of me. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for making us welcome here. Pray for us as a family because we're beginning to explore with John and Mim the possibility of formal membership with you and all the rest of that. And it's a real joy. Let me just very briefly pray now as we turn to that portion of God's word because that's really what we're here for, isn't it? Father, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Help us to believe it. Enable us to understand it. Teach us to obey it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. And as we begin, can I ask you to do a little bit of work? Um, I hope you've got the Bible open in front of you, but I want you to talk to your neighbour or think deeply for yourself. What brings you joy? What brings you joy? I'm not going to ask you for answers uh, now, but I hope you might pick up those conversations afterwards uh, when we've explored the theme of joy a little bit more, Uh, because it's what Luke's talking about. I wonder if you think joy is is happiness. Is joy happiness? In times past, men would have used those, those words. Okay, I'm, I'm great. I'm really chuffed we've got some Americans with us today because my first uh, point that I want to I draw to your attention is, is the record of the American Congress on July the 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think they were right. I think that's a God-inspired statement. Let me tell you why. Because all the way down through history, you can start with Aristotle. Happiness for Aristotle is not a fleeting feeling or an ephemeral passion as perhaps we think of it today. It is rather the product of a life well-lived, the summation of a full, flourishing existence sustained to the end of one's days. Aristotle would say happiness is a complete life. 
or just to prove that it's only the last couple of generations, Benjamin Franklin. Virtue and happiness are mother and daughter. There's a thought, isn't it? And the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And chapter 15, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The word in scripture is joy. And it is that note that Luke will end his gospel on. And that's where we come to today. God's people in God's place, we'll find them in the temple, knowing God's blessing, experiencing great joy. Actually, he also begins with joy in the temple. I'll make that connection for you later. Luke is is great like that. But I hope you're ready to feel, to find, to know, to ask questions about this great joy that is a mark of the Christian life. Let's walk with the first disciples through these 40 days between Easter and Ascension. For that's what Luke covers in the rest of this chapter, okay? We're we're covering 40 days. The time markers have disappeared from Luke's text and he's compressing 40 days into about 20 verses. And we have it in three sections. So the first section, we'll look at only Jesus. The second section, we'll look at how Jesus fulfills God's plan And finally, how that gives great joy. So we have one sentence, which is our guiding sentence today. Only Jesus fulfills God's plan and gives great joy. And that's our three sections as well. And in the first eight verses, 36 to 43, we find only Jesus. Luke says, Jesus himself stood among them. What he's pointing out is that after all that has happened, the disciples, the larger group, it's not all 12 disciples, Judas obviously isn't there, and neither is Thomas, we know from the other Gospels. And there there are clearly others there too. This whole group don't yet properly believe. In a very real sense, they're like you and I before we met Jesus Christ. They're like those in the world today who still don't know Jesus Christ. I find that so encouraging (laughs) that even the disciples, for however brief a period, were there where I once was. These three days, from the Thursday night or the Friday morning to Sunday morning or Sunday evening, they did not know Christ. He was not there with them to touch and feel. And if you read and look at the text, they didn't believe he was around anymore. They're in fear. They're lost. Catch the picture in the upper room that Luke is painting for us and the people who have met and been told by Jesus. You know, there's people in this room here who've met angels, right? Angels have said he's not here, he's risen. Mary has met Jesus and she has been told, Mary that personal name, and she's admitted Rabboni. And they're all back in this room, and and you get that sort of communal disbelief. (laughs) Yeah? So although one has had the impact, it's, 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 it's diluted. It's gone away. You get the Emmaus too come running back, probably Cleopas and his wife. And then there's John, the baby disciple, probably still a teenager. And he's run all the way to the tomb. And uh, he's got there first, but he hasn't gone in. And Peter's caught up with him. And, uh, and Peter's gone in. 
And then John has gone in, and in his gospel he says he believes. But he's come back here, and it's very clear that there's no belief in this group. And we know that, because when Jesus really does appear, they're startled and frightened, and they think he's a ghost. We've obviously got something wrong here. It's... Okay, it's booming in my ear. Is there any way we can turn it down a bit? Is that all right? Thanks. Um, okay, so they think they've seen a ghost. Basically, they've, they've given up on the miraculous. They've lived with Jesus for three years, and he's done miraculous and miraculous and miraculous things, and all of a sudden, he's not there, and they say, superstition. They've gone right back to all the old ways of doing things. And Luke says, Jesus only... Jesus, Jesus himself does what only Jesus can do. He speaks to their emotional and their physical needs. We read it in verse 38. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. He's dealing with them at the heart level, the emotions. He's dealing with them at the physical level. And you know what? I have to wonder if this is what John recalls, because he writes in his gospel, uh, in his letter, 1 John 1, doesn't he? That which we have seen, that which we have touched, <laughs> that which we have heard. I think it must have made a massive impact on John, that teenager, as he was able, allowed, welcomed to touch the risen Christ. What wonderful reassurance it must have been that this Jesus is so obviously human and yet so obviously more than human. Here is our first hint of the true nature of joy because the text tells us that the joy they experience overcame their senses. They disbelieved for joy. So here they are, they've gone all the way over to superstition. Jesus is dead, all we've got is a ghost. And they swing all the way through belief to the other side. I cannot believe what I'm touching because I'm so happy. Have you ever been there? So happy that reason goes out the window. That's what we're talking about here. They are so happy that they can't believe it. They can touch him, but they're overcome with this emotion of joy. It is only Jesus that can do this. This joy is so much more than we can think. And, and Jesus says of himself in, in verse 44 that he's not with them in the same way that he was before. Um, Jesus acknowledges, um, if I can use these words without speaking heresy, that the old Jesus is no longer there. And we now have a new Jesus. Um, I dare not say he is a new creation. That's what we are. But the whole point of the text is saying that Jesus is not with them as he was before. He's with them in this new way. It is the Jesus they know and love, but it's so much more. He is so much more in this resurrection body. Luke is at pains to say to us today, it's only Jesus who can convince people like this, that he is alive and risen and glorified. It is only Jesus who fans the flames of faith into a fire. It's only Jesus who opens a mind to understand. As we heard last week through the scriptures on the road to Emmaus, again repeated here, 
That's in, in verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Only Jesus does this. And I have to stop at this point and say to you this morning, do you know this risen Jesus? Have you met him? Because he wants to meet you right now. He wants to st stand before you in his risen might and power and change your life once and for all. We're going to see what that means in a minute, but do you know him? Let me ask you again, do you know him? Because if you don't, that's the most important thing you can do today is just pause now and say, Lord, I would know you. I'd like to know if you're real. Make yourself real to me. If that's where you're at, please talk to someone after the service. That's what it is that Jesus reveals to them. Uh, he reveals his new self. But in doing so, and we, as we move to focus on the middle verses, he also reveals to us God's plan and purpose and the fact that this isn't just a one-off. This isn't a random act in the middle of human history. This is the plan and purpose. This is Luke's uh, focus in, the, in these middle verses. Only Jesus opens minds to understand um, what uh, God is doing, what God's plan and purpose has been and is and is going to be into the future. Only Jesus fulfills God's plan. Just as on the road to Emmaus, Jesus explained everything written about him in the Old Testament. Only this time, Luke actually tells us what Jesus explained. So if you look at verse 46, he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise and then in verse 47, be proclaimed. And those three uh, verbs, they're aorist infinitives in the Greek for the linguists amongst you, um, they are the summary of the gospel. This is Luke saying this is the summary of the gospel. This is what God had planned in the past and Jesus fulfills. This is the plan of God from before time to make a difference in your life and mine. It was revealed in the Old Testament. It is fulfilled in Christ. Here is the good news. Christ suffered and died. How is that good news? Well, he suffered and died for you and for me. But that's not the end of the story because he suffered and he rose again. As is Easter glory. This is wonder. Death could not hold him. Death indeed is conquered and he has risen. But again, God's plan doesn't end there. He suffered. He's risen and he is proclaimed. That's the wonder of this plan of God's, not just that Christ would die and rise and therefore people could be saved, but that people will be told that they can be saved and that people will be welcomed in. The great gospel will be proclaimed. Jesus himself said on that first Palm Sunday, didn't he? If the crowds don't cry out, the stones will. The very creation will cry out if you don't. And the writer I think to the Romans, isn't it? It says, you know, people have seen in creation that there is a glorious God. But this text for us as his believers, his followers, highlights our responsibility. If you've accepted only Jesus as saviour, if you've accepted that only Jesus has fulfilled God's plan, then witness is your job. Witness is what you are given to. Witness is what you are called to. Witness is what we are about. It is not optional. It's what we are to do. 
Now, yes, there are some who are evangelists who are given 100% to do it. And there are others who will only evangelize in, in small measure with one or two in the course of a week or, or a month or even a year. But we are all called to be witnesses. It's part of God's plan. It's what Christ has fulfilled. But remember this, because as here in the text as well, we don't do it in our own strength. It's God's plan. So it's done by God's power. Indeed, we're told we must be clothed in God's power, but that's Pentecost, and we're not going to pick it at that today. The question for us today is, are you being a witness? Are you? Will you? That's the challenge to the believer of these middle verses. And finally, we come with the disciples at the end of the 40 days to the ascension. Now, Luke speaks only briefly of it here. He uses the ascension as the hinge from this section uh, to the Acts of the Apostles. Um, but what we're treated to here is the proper conclusion um, to, to God's plan. And it truly is amazing. And we sang about it in our first song. And, and th this is the reason for the great joy. You see, what we are taught here by the ascension is that redeemed humanity has a home in heaven. All right? That's why the ascension matters. Because what we see here is the first redeemed man, if you will, the new believer in the new Christ, we see him welcomed into heaven. And one of the things the disciples witness is that we have a home in heaven. Now, that's important, isn't it? It's a vital part of it. That's what gives us great joy. In 22 and 69, Jesus, before, his, before the Sanhedrin, said, you will see the Son of Man sit down at the right hand of heaven. And they said, blasphemy, kill him. And right here and right now, in this moment, Jesus Christ fulfills that promise and he is seen to do what he said he would do. And he sits down at the right hand of God in heaven. It's not blasphemy. It was the plan of God. And yes, he died. But that death could not hold him. And this is, this is our true and only reason for joy. That Christ has gone before us into heaven. Actually, there's nothing that can inspire you to joy more than this. <laughs> because he wants you to go with him. <laughs> He, he, he said, in, again, John records this, for, if I go, I go to prepare a place. If I prepare a place, I'll come and claim you and bring you back to that place. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Revealed here, witnessed here in the ascension. There's a place for you in heaven. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm gunning for a smile on every face by the time I've finished, all right? Okay, so if I can't see a smile on most faces by the time I've finished, I have failed this morning, all right? This is, this is where all the joy comes from. I have a home in heaven, right? And this aching body won't ache, yeah? And the grief that I know that I've caused other people will have been dealt with. This is the great culmination of God's plan. This is the true and, and in, I dare say, the only reason for joy. God's plan includes welcoming you into heaven. If you know that, and if you believe that, then joy, indeed great joy, 
is the result. Yes, we will worship. It's in verse 52. Yes, we will act with obedience in this life. Uh, it's masterful writing on Luke's behalf. He's been hinting at this all the way through his gospel. He's been saying Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. But he has never yet said anybody has worshipped Jesus. Now you'd have to go and dig into the theology and the words to make sure of that. The commentators tell us that never yet has anyone worshipped Jesus until this moment of his ascension. And Luke says they worshipped him. Jesus is God. He is now enthroned in heaven. There is no shortage here of wonder. There is no doubt to this truth of our home in heaven. This is where I want to end today, as Luke does in this full and, and final way in which we know one another to be truly saved. All right, This is how you know somebody is saved. This is, this is how others know we're saved because joy is the mark of the believer. Joy sets us apart. That's what people see. Luke takes us back to the temple where his whole account began. You'll have to read chapter 1 for your homework um, and, and, and follow up yourselves. But in chapter 1, of Luke's gospel and verse 5, we begin in the temple. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughter of Aaron. Verse 8, when his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. That's in the temple. Luke began here with God's people in God's place and Zechariah, at the end of chapter 1, you, that's why I say you've got to read the whole of it. I'm not going to read all 80 verses. You can do that later. At the end of it, Zechariah's prophecy, when little John the Baptist is born, because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. <laughs> can you see how the dawn is that moment when heaven is opened and Christ goes in? And they glimpse the glory that we will have. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace with Christ which leads us to his heavenly home. You see the true joy here. The Greek origins of the word uh, support this. True joy, you see, is when we experience God's grace, we become aware that it's God's grace, and we celebrate that it's God's grace. Now, I'm building a lot here on linguistics. I'm not going to explain, but you, most of you, I'm sure, know that grace is charis in, Greece, in, in Greek. Yes? All right. Well, the joy word is rooted in the same place. Okay? I'm not going to go through all the ins and outs of it. But when God is gracious to us and we recognize that grace and respond to it, we're aware that it's him doing it. That's where the joy word comes from. So the very Greek word is saying the same thing. And it has to begin in the temple because the temple is the place where God has promised to meet with humanity. And of course, Christ fulfills the picture of the temple and becomes the new temple and becomes the place where we meet, where men and women, boys and girls now meet with God. Look at it like this. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, yes? Yes? That's God's grace. 
But not everybody realizes it's God's grace. Some people call it nature. Some people call it chance. They don't know that God is acting graciously to them. But then they become aware of God's grace. Like the disciples at the beginning of our uh, passage today, Jesus opens their minds to understand the purposes of God. It's revealed in the scriptures. It's fulfilled by him. Only Jesus fulfills God's plan. And then that final step, when we join in with him and he gives us great joy, what we're seeing today is that joy is the resulting characteristic in our lives when Jesus does what, what Pastor John talked about us last, last week when he opened the scriptures and he challenged us about our reading, didn't he? The result of us being in the word, finding Jesus, growing is joy. I would go so far as to ask if you know not this joy, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Now it's a challenging statement but you should know this joy sometimes our joy is lessened and we need to pray but Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness peace and joy in God the Holy Spirit and here's a challenge to us as well because we sometimes make our work our Christianity into religion but we're pre-Pentecost we're pre-activity, we're pre-programs, we're pre-all of that, aren't we? Mark spoke to us a few weeks ago from John chapter 20. And he said that Jesus gives us peace, purpose and power. That was a powerful sermon for me. It really turned me around and got me looking forward again and, and focusing on, on, on the future and, and experiencing God's joy. But what I want to say to you today very clearly from Luke is that joy comes before power. Joy comes before power. We have peace with God. He gives us a purpose. And then we experience joy. That's what Luke says. And then we go out with power. And actually the fact that we're joyful as we go out is what wins people for the Lord. <laughs> we're made right with God. We have peace. He shares with us the glorious purpose of a redeemed humanity with him in his home in glory and it results in great joy. So that when we go out with joy, we fulfill Isaiah 54 and, and uh, 55, verse 12. And you'll need to look that one up and, and work that one out for your homework as well because my time is gone. I wonder if you've been reading the reports of GAFCON 4 in Kigali this week. This was the report in the Church Times a few days ago. Comparing the conference in Kigali with the Synod's February meeting in London, Mr. Pearson G. said, if General Synod had one hundredth of the joy that is present in this gathering, it would be transformative. There's no talk here about how churches are going to go carbon neutral. It's all about mission and evangelism. It's all about the Great Commission, and as a result, there is a huge level of excitement. Now, I don't want to do down going green and carbon neutral. We've got to look after God's world. But priorities, people, <laughs> all right? That's what he's saying. The suffragan bishop of Ebbsfleet, Dr. Rob Munro, uh, described the sense of fellowship at the conference as a taste of heaven, a glimpse of glory. That's what we need. That's what we should have when we get this joy. Only Jesus fulfills God's plan and gives joy. 
great joy. If you're reading scripture in the way John outlined last week, perhaps you will have a similar experience to John Wesley, who records on the 1st of January, 1739, about three in the morning, as we were continuing in prayer, the power, (laughs) yeah, I know, it was a late night prayer meeting. The power of God came mightily upon us in so much that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. They are traditional words, sometimes known as the Te Deum. That may inspire you. For me, what keeps me focused on this joy is the simple song that my parents taught me. Never stop teaching the kids simple songs, all right? They are brilliant. Because these are the words I will never forget. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. So let it fly in the sky. Let the whole world know that the king is in residence there. Only Jesus. Do you know him? Only Jesus fulfills God's plan. Do you witness to him? Only Jesus fulfills God's plan and gives great joy. Do you have it? If not, I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way that only he can fulfill your plan and purpose. Only he can open a heart and explain what's going on in this world. Father, we thank you and ask that we would know him better, witness to him better, and we pray that you would give us this great joy, a new measure of it if we have much, an even greater measure if we have little. And Lord, would you fill our hearts with this joy. Let us worship and obey you and proclaim you to the world that we will walk in this week.